All right, folks, welcome back into Pickaxe and Roll. Thank you so much for tuning in. Joined once again by Swipe a Cam in part two of this episode that we recorded yesterday. Uh, had a really good time with it. He's awesome. Make sure to check out all of his work. Uh, and without further ado, let's get into the hot takes that we broke down. back final segment pickaxe and roll joined today by swipe a cam make sure to go subscribe to him on youtube go go follow him on twitter too he's sharing he's sharing the love he's sharing the takes on this nuggets team at all times and like you're, you're always supportive of the team you're always positive you're always bringing the energy when it comes to uh lifting up nicole Jokic and making sure that he's not uh he's not forgotten by the mainstream media yeah, I, I try. You know, I have a couple of friends in those networks. So whenever we uh, get a chance to talk and get a chance to say something about Yoke, I make sure to do it. Um, by the way, right, I just need to just need to say uh, congratulations on the great song of choice and the transition music. It's one of my favorite things about listening to the podcast. It makes it perks me up. I feel like I'm about to hear something special every time a new segment opens up. I think that podcast music brings great energy. And I, I've spent a lot of time, whether it's making it, whether it's just just finding some good royalty free stuff uh, to to like that's something I've really wanted to invest in. So I appreciate that, man. Thank you. It's a it's been a big uh, I'm going to have to make sure to put great podcast music in the middle. Of this. It's going to be awesome. Uh, all right. Let us share more hot takes. Let's get into the the spice scale once again. And, and this is from I'm Yona Cortez, uh, who is from Argentina. Uh Faku with the starters, Monte Morris with the bench, and trying with uh, with Bones Highland and P.J. Dozier along with Monte. You want to give more points to the bench, put more scorers on the bench, put more drivers on the bench. You want to give Faku more to work with, more spacing to work with, more playmakers and, and scorers for him to be with. Put him with people that are capable of scoring without any problems. Spice scale. Uh, that's a one. Um, that's also facts, but it's facts because, duh. Yeah, give Faku the MVP. Give Faku one of the most efficient shooters of all time. Give Faku Aaron Gordon, one of the best rim rollers and slashers and defenders in the NBA. Give him one of the best combo guards in the NBA. I'm sure Faku is going to look a lot better. But that's my problem. Why are we designing the perfect offense around Facuno Campazzo if he's the eighth or ninth man on the team? That's what I'm not understanding. Faku is supposed to make life easier for Yoke, life easier for MPJ, life easier for Jamal Murray. And so it seems like right now it's just they're trying to find ways to maximize Faku's skill set because unless he has these perfect parameters in place, he's not an effective player. Well, again, that's, that just doesn't make sense to me. So, of course, you could put Faku there. Again, y'all. I have said this repeatedly. Faku had game-changing plays last season. That Chicago Bulls game where Jamal Murray hits that, that, that corner three, Faku did that. Because Faku had that steal on Zach Levine to close out the game, to even give them the ball back in the first place. He has made play after play after play. But this year, he hasn't had it. He hasn't looked good. But here's the problem. It's like if the solution is to put him around the best four, four core in the NBA, well, that's just – that's not really solving the problem. That's just finding ways not to have him mitigate the skill sets of the bench. So I don't know. It's just, it's just not as, I know it would work in some degree, but it just feels as if we're catering to Faku a little bit. But again, maybe I'm being unfair. You tell me. 
You're not being unfair. Uh, catering to Faku would be to put him with the MVP and make sure to to do what happened last year to make it to make it work like last year, where Faku was was spending a lot of time with the starting unit and and making some good plays by setting up Michael Porter by setting up Nikola Jokic all the time, and those guys were successful. They're having a good, really really great season, uh, even with Faku out there. And like you said, Faku's not a bad player. Faku is a he's a role player who has to have certain conditions met for him, but he's like the quality of an eighth or ninth man. I I think I agree with that. I definitely do. The problem is is that Denver's bench, they just have zero of the conditions that he needs. You need guys that can get into the paints. You need a rim roller. You need uh, spot up shooters that are elite. Uh, Denver doesn't have those conditions for Faku to be successful right now. And that's one of the reasons why he's been so bad, but also he hasn't been good defensively either. Like that's one of the things that really stands out. It's not just like people are shooting over him. It's that people are getting around him. It's that people are going through him. It's that he's not making the same hustle plays defensively that he was last year. And could that be him trying to pace himself for a regular season? That's 82 games. Absolutely. Does that take away from factors effectiveness? Absolutely. So I'm uh, I am very much on the side of this is a crap take. Because you do not mess with your starters. You get a good starting unit, a really, really good starting unit that makes a lot of sense, that is versatile, that is dangerous, that doesn't have as many weaknesses as one that has Faku in it. And you go with those guys, and then you figure out the bench afterwards. That is how I would approach it. You can probably play Faku and Bones together off the bench and and have that as a good combination, but you need better, not better, you need uh uh, bench bigs that are going to either roll to the rim hard or are going to hit their threes. And right now Denver has neither. Yeah. So what you're saying is they need to sign to Marcus cousins. I got you. So yeah, oh I just, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what it is, man. I don't know why I brought this upon myself because it just seems like I will get four or five or six people in my mentions every single day asking, oh, so Ryan, you want to, you want the Marcus Cousins on the team? I'm like, no. Well, Michael no. Malone, hey, Michael Malone brought him up. So, of course, everybody can feed into that. But look, here's the thing. If we had Dwight Howard, Ryan, I agree. Faku would have a lot of effectiveness. If you gave him Doug McDermott off the bench to come with him, you know what I mean? If you gave him Kevin Love, yeah, sure. But like I said, that still seems to be defeating the purpose of a bench. The bench needs to make sure the starters have time to rest and they don't have to chase leads down every time they step back on the court. That's their role. You're, you're totally right, man. Like just, it's just, it's crazy. It's a, we don't, we don't have to cater to one player or another. You just have to find a solution that makes sense until the starters get back on the court. Exactly. And so if you're telling me that it's better to have bones Highland out there and give, but here, but here's the thing also too, with this, if you're looking for scoring and then, but you're also not getting defense from Faku because he's not playing defense. If think about if anyone gets horizontal with Faku, it's a bucket. Whenever he rotates as a weak side defender, it's a bucket. Whenever he contests a taller player, it's a bucket. So if you're not getting elite defense, then you need offensive scoring out there and he doesn't provide that. That's not his game. Well, then why not Marcus Howard? What's the difference? If he gets blown by, he gets blown by, but at least he can get you seven to eight threes in a game if he gets hot. So that's, that's the thing. I'm running into with Faku. What is it about your skill set that translates now to winning basketball in the situation you're given? It's tough. It's tough. And and 
Argentina, I'm really sorry. Like this is, we are not trying to hate on the dude because he, like we talked about, he gave Denver elite moments last year, gave them a lift and it took a little bit, but he got adjusted to the NBA game and, and absolutely made the most of it. But right now, it's just not working. It's okay to admit that it's not working, that just things haven't really worked out quite yet. And that in the current context, he's probably not going to play a ton. And I'm sorry to say, but his minutes have gone down every single game. Well, if this is Manu Ginobili or this is, is uh, Luis Scola, then this wouldn't be a conversation because both of them fit what the Nuggets need. So, like, I think people need to understand that as well. This is not a referendum on Argentinian basketball. This is a referendum yeah. on Faku's individual game. Again, if this was Manu Ginobili, the Nuggets would be 6-2 and because that's how good he is. It doesn't matter who you put him around. He's going to get off. He beat Team USA by himself because he was that caliber of player. Faku's just not that kind of player. So it's just you have to take everyone with their individual skill set. And right now his skill set is just not what the Nuggets need off the bench. 100%. Uh, let's move on. Kaza B says the Nuggets have narrowed the way MPJ can score by using him as a shooting specialist. Spice scale. Uh, that's a one, and that's fact. That's because that's what they turn it into. And again, yeah. I don't do you. And again, Ryan, you tell me you talked to Michael Malone. Do you feel like this is purposeful? Or are they trying to maybe wow. help him to contain his game to grow it? Like, well, what? Well, how did this even happen? Because this this isn't the first time we've been here. They're treating him like Clay Thompson, and Clay Thompson is awesome, and Michael Porter Jr. is awesome. But those guys both had their struggles at times. Like when the shot isn't going down, it looks really weird. It looks really bad. And like, I, I think I said to you last time when I was on your show, that I think I see him as like a, a blend of Paul George, Jason Tatum, guys like that, that when he's at his ceiling, that's what he's going to look like. I don't see him as clay. I don't see him as a guy that never touches the ball or, or like when he does touch the ball, it's just zero dribbles, one dribbles, and then go up because I think he's got a more a mixed bag than that, like rather than just uh, trying to eliminate the dribbling as much as possible. Because I think that once he gets into that rhythm, he's going to be a really good ball handler. He's going to figure it out. And he's going to be at that size where you want him to take some of those shots. But right now, right now with what they need, with a couple of ball handlers and Monte and Barton, with Gordon being able to handle, you want Porter to be that dangerous three-point threat that is always he's going to take nine threes a game. He's going to uh, once once he gets to that level is going to space the floor out to hell and give give other teams just endless amounts of problems. The problem is that he's not hitting those shots right now, and it's it's kind of butchered everything that the Nuggets plan to do. Well, but again, this goes back to my original issue. If if you're hoping and pay, that it seems as if the reason the Nuggets offense isn't good is because Porter isn't meeting the specific offensive responsibility you've given him as to beat his Clay Thompson. So yeah, the reason they're not even, they're barely scoring over hundred points a game because well, he's not hitting shots, but I'm like, okay, but like, can you not utilize him in other ways? Let his skill set run in other ways. Cause I look, Will Barton's playing great, Ryan. He's not a better scorer than Michael Porter jr. So how do we maximize his skill set to ensure as Michael Malone talks about, I don't want to overwork the MVP that by the time Christmas runs around, that he is overrun and overburdened. Well, let Michael Porter Jr. take some of that burden off of him by giving him more offensive responsibility. But again, I know that is process. I know that is scheme fit. But 
Yo, but at, at some point, you got to be able to build your offense around your best asset. That's football. Again, it, coaches have always said it's good coaching. If you have a skilled players and they're in, you have a scheme and the players are not fitting your scheme, you got the wrong scheme. Build your scheme around the players you have. So let Porter go be what he is instead of just making him into this thing. Because it just looks so unnatural for him to stand off the corner and let Monte Morris do all the work offensively. It doesn't make sense. Well, you know what it is, is they were a Murray Jokic team. They were a team that ran the DHOs that had the two-man game that was able to kind of use other things off of that. And Porter has completely disrupted that, not in a bad way, but like with his talent, with his skill set, it's completely different than from how they've played before. And they're trying to figure it out. They're definitely trying to work on it. They've, they've run several plays for him and trying to take advantage of those skills but he's got to be able to hit the shots and he's got to be able to read the floor that when the shot isn't going in, he has to be able to then pivot into driving the ball to the basket. I haven't seen enough of that from him. Sometimes he'll get the offensive rebounds. Sometimes he'll, he'll crash the glass and, and try to get under the rim and they'll hit hit him for the occasional dump off underneath. But most of the time he's not driving the basket. And when you get into like you're six ten and you, 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 dribble like a gazelle, like in a, in a good way. Like you could fly up and down the court, take one dribble from the three-point line and get all the way to the rim. Use it. I, I, I don't think that they've used it as much as they probably should. I also don't think that he's taken advantage of some of those opportunities that he probably could. And it's going to be a learning process for him because like we said, he's changing his game. He isn't, he hasn't always been a pick and roll guy. He's been a, I am going to face up on you and I'm going to shoot over the top of you. That's what he does. And, and he's been great at it for so long. But if you're facing up and you're shooting over and you're shooting 20%, ain't going to fly. Yeah. If this was 2006, he would be the perfect wing player. Because again, that's the thing. Porter is like when people hear Porter, like if you weren't familiar with him for the years leading up to the NBA, Porter was the Gatorade player of the year because he averaged 36 points and 13 rebounds a game off face-ups and step-backs because you couldn't stop him in the transition or his or his jump shot. So, but here's the thing. This is my thing about this, Ryan. This is what probably irks me most. Porter needs to step up. I completely agree with you. Porter needs to hit his shot. Completely agree with you. But if you were going to use Porter like this, why would you not trade him for James Harden and Bradley Beal? That's my thing. If you were not going to use him to his maximum capabilities, why would you not then give Yoke an asset? Because if you gave him Bradley Bill right now, the Nuggets would be seven and one. I mean, you know, if unless he got COVID or something, because he's not vaccinated, but they would be seven and one. Like they would be very good because that he plays pick and roll. He can run pick and roll with Yoke. James Harden can run pick and roll with Yoke. So this is my thing. If you're going to pay for it, use it. If you're going to give him 140 to 172 to 207 million dollars, I think you just you have to force feed it in some way and I just don't know how willing they are to do that. So the the Bradley Beal thing is interesting because I think that Denver they they might have they might have gone about that. Um where you, you go and try to find a replacement ball handler for Jamal Murray while he recovers, give him some, give him another guy that he can rely upon that doesn't necessarily like they, like they could coexist when he comes back, but until he comes back, you kind of replace what the Murray Jokic offense did. And I think that there, there is something to that, that you don't necessarily need Porter in order to be a great offense because you have Jokic. Um, 
but yeah, it's, it's going to be tough, man. I'm, I'm very curious to see how they handle it. Uh, they couldn't go get a guy like Beal because you, you had to trade Gordon and, and you weren't going to trade Gordon and Porter. Like in that case, like it just wasn't going to happen. Um, but they're going to have to figure it out. And maybe now that Porter is on a max deal, as long as he kind of figures it out and kind of bounces back a little bit, then maybe that's something that they consider down the road. I'm not sure. It's, uh, well, I was more so – sorry, I, for specification, I was more so out referencing the beginning of last year when all these teams mm, were calling mm, about Porter. So okay. I, I have never been on the trade Porter bandwagon. I have been on Porter as a top-10 player eventually. Keep him. Do whatever you got to do. Keep that man. But my question is, Ryan, if, if you had this idea, Tim Connolly said, I'm not trading him from James Harden and Bradley Bill because of his potential and his fit next to Yoke, then why are you not – taking that same value you placed on him then and putting it into the offense. Now that's, that's where the dis. And if you, if you said no to James Harden, you said no to Bradley bill, which I agree with, then, then why would you not then cater your offense to make it easier for yoke? I thought that was the purpose anyway, but you know, those are just my thoughts. No, I mean, it's, it's a great point, man. Like if you're, if you're going to go for a championship and you want to surround yoke with the best possible team, then objectively, like James Harden or Bradley Beal right now would have helped Denver a lot more. Uh, that's also in the context of not having Jamal Murray right now. And maybe maybe we're a little bit colored by, the, uh, by that view of Porter being as bad as he has been over the course of these first eight games. Because when he's optimized, when he looks good, that dude can average 30 a night. And we know that. We, we absolutely do. So... He will get to that point eventually. I have full faith in him that he mm-hmm. can that he can reach that threshold, and it doesn't have to take that much. It just is seeing the first three pointer go down. That's really all it's going to take. Like I remember Clay Thompson when he came back uh, in 2019, 2018-19 season, shot 14 percent from three to start the year. It was so bad. It was so so bad. Everybody's looking around like, what's going on with Clay? And then he plays the Chicago Bulls, the the ultimate cure all that season for any team that was struggling. <laughs> you just got to face the Chicago Bulls and you're going to be okay. And he hits 14 threes, mm-hmm. setting a record. If you're a talented shooter, you just got to face a bad team. And the Nuggets have the Houston Rockets on Saturday. And the Houston Rockets are bad. They are mm-hmm. real bad. They're real young. They're real inexperienced. They're real bad. If he can't hit a three against that team – I don't know if he's ever going to hit a three again because that team will leave him open and he knows it. He should mm-hmm. know it at least. So we'll just have to see. Um, let's move on. Let's get into a new take here. Uh, H. Fasulo, I think that's. I think I said that right. Uh, not enough people are talking about the fact that MPJ is unvaccinated and the different rules for vaccinated versus unvaccinated players are affecting his performance and chemistry with the team. Um, before we get into the spice scale, we can't speak to that. Like we can't, we can only give our like impressions of something like that because we're not inside the building. Like we don't know. It, it would be, it would be disingenuous for us to speculate too much about that. But if that were true, that's a spicy take it is a five pepper take and it could be facts. It's, it's possible, but I don't want to like, I don't want to immediately put that on MPJ being like, Hey, that's the reason why he is performing badly. Look, I, yeah, I, you know, I can't maybe three peppers right in the middle. You know what I mean? But I can't I can't say if it's fact or crap. And again, to your point, but I will say sports is a communal environment. 
you play with a team, you live with these people, you eat with these people, you, you, you do life with these people. So if there is a reality in which you can't participate in normal human functions because of these protocols that are in place because of the health decision that you've chosen to make, and you've never done it, and you're a young man, he's 23 years old, there is a possibility that that is a part of what's happening. But again, we have no idea of verifying that. But if you put two and two together, you know, he comes from a very, very, very tight family. So family is very important to him. People are very important to him within his circle. Uh, so it's quite possible. But, um, you know, I can't speak to that and say that that's happening for sure. But if if it was having an effect on the psychology, then it would be understandable. Why? Because that's just a hard thing to have to go through to feel like you have to do things on your own, you know, even if it is because of a vaccination situation. Yeah, I'm not even going to rate this one because uh, like just just having to having thought about it, like I, I thought at the time it might be, hey, this is an interesting angle on, on how this mm -hmm. could like be affecting him. But now that I'm thinking about it, we just can't speak to that. If, if mm -hmm. it's if it's something that is actually affecting the team, then that is bigger than basketball for sure. Yeah. Um, but like you said, basketball is a community. Uh, being on a team is a community. You are with these guys for 12 hours of the day, every single day for about 180 days in a row outside of like the all-star break. So to be away from them for that entire time and yep. then to struggle on top of that, you don't have that same connection and people that can have a, a full on conversation with you that can help get you back under their wing. That can help get you back into the, into the realm of the, the good graces of that team. And so if he's, if he's on the outs, that would really suck. That would really, really suck. Uh, I will say that uh, off record, not off record, but like when, when Jokic hadn't recorded his, uh, his zoom for the last game that I was at, uh, it was after a loss. Mike had sent Nicole a joke via text. And like, so those guys are, those guys talk over text like, like this, mm -hmm. it's just, they aren't as separated as people say that they are, as people think mm -hmm. that they are. Yoke isn't just like keeping to himself either. Like this team mm -hmm. is connected. They are special. They, they hop in the group chats all the time and they talk with each other individually all the time. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't be too quick to say, oh yeah, it's because they've separated that it's really having an effect is what I will yeah. say. Yeah, and I think too, Ryan, a lot of people always speculate, you know, does Yoke get along with MPJ? Does MPJ get along with Barton? I, I think people just, maybe they haven't been in a locker room before, but I don't think people realize that you, if you are respectful and you're kind to people and like you treat people well, we always going to get along. We might not agree on everything, but we're always going to get along. We're friends. But that don't mean we got to be brothers off the court, but like people always speculate, well, Yoke doesn't like playing with MPJ because this, this, and this. I'm like, no, I've never, he's literally never said that or referenced that one time. It's just, he's still figuring it out, but that's just a part of playing basketball. And again, y'all, this is a game. Like, this is a game. Yoke, if anything, has shown us repeatedly that while he takes it serious, it ain't that serious to where he's, like, not liking people because of basketball decisions. So I just feel like people just need to, like, relax a little bit and let Porter just figure it out. He's 23 years old. Let him grow up, and eventually he'll get there. 100%. This isn't a standard co coworker relationship. Like this is a this is a this is a team it's a it's a unique uh relationship that people can't understand unless they've been in a locker room before and frankly unless they've been in a professional locker room before because those distractions and those like environments 
are so much different than a college locker room or a high school locker room or anything in between, or especially an office. It is not like an office in any way, shape or form. Let me tell people that right now. Uh, All right, moving on. Uh, Nuggets role player union. Uh, He says, we don't fully understand the level of star that bones Highland can be. Think Allen Iverson is what he said. Spice scale. That's a five pepper blew me away. I almost fell out my seat. Uh, I don't want to say crap because, hey, I want it to happen. And I can't say facts either because Allen Iverson is one of one in NBA history. I see every time I see Bones Highland play, I see Jamal Crawford. Literally Mm. every time he steps on the court, I see somebody who is unashamed about shooting any shot from any depth, who rocks the handle better than most players his age, who has a unique offensive feel that is very specific to him and his style of play in Wilmington, Delaware. And then I also see somebody who is a ferocious competitor at such a young age. So he fits that Jamal Crawford type. And I think he fits very well with what the Nuggets need. So I'm very excited over the next, what is that, 74 games we have to watch Bones, I really think he's about to take a major leap forward. So Jamal Crawford's a really interesting name when you talk to analytics people because they're like, no, Jamal Crawford wasn't a great player. Jamal Crawford wasn't like, he just took a lot of shots. He just got of shots. He was, just, he was a, an icon because he played in New York and L.A. and places like that, but not an efficient player, not an effective player really it's somewhere in the middle, right? Like he's a, he's a folk hero to so many folks. He he's one of the, like being from Seattle, being in that culture, growing up uh, like Isaiah, like Isaiah Thomas looks up to him. So many people, like probably Michael Porter even has a connection to, to Jamal Crawford for sure. Uh, Brandon Roy guys like that. And I'm, I'm not off base when I say he was in Seattle, right? Like, that's not crazy. Like I thought he was a Seattle guy. Well, you're talking uh, about Jamal Crawford. Yeah. No, I can't. I don't even know where he's from, bro. I couldn't even Shit. tell you. <laughs> <laughs> let's, let's see if I can find it. Um, well, he went to Michigan, so like I, I, I don't know. But uh, either way, either way, he has that backyard game style, that that street ball style that everybody loves. And Bones, I can relate to that too. I just think Bones is a better shooter than him. I think that he's just a more efficient guy. Than, than what a Jamal Crawford was because he he had the showtime moves and he had the the open dribble moves that would free him up and Bones has those too maybe not as flashy but more effective moves where he just he's it's I was struck by this in summer league where it was so simple for him it was so easy to free up and get space against NBA caliber talent I was blown away I didn't expect that from him at all but he's so advanced. And the moves that he makes aren't super flashy, but they are super effective where you generate that much space on your jumper for your layups, for getting past the hip of somebody, getting onto the hip and making making reads after that. So could he be just as effective as a guy like Jamal Crawford? Yeah, I definitely think so. I, I, I don't want to put a ceiling on him at all because like Bones, what he's shown so far, the fearlessness of what he's shown, it does remind some people of AI. And I can absolutely understand that, that when you approach it from that perspective of just being the littlest guy on the court and not caring, not giving a damn, there, there is something to that from just an emotional perspective, an energy perspective that he brings all the time. 
Yeah, by the way, uh, Jamal Crawford is from Seattle. Very, very right on that. Yes. Uh, <laughs> yes, got it. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, you know, that's the thing about Bones, man. Like, I, I, I rock with people like that. You know, for him to be at VCU, for him to go through what he went through growing up, but he has such a, a, a laughable personality. Like, he's so jovial, but he's also so serious about his craft. And that's the perfect stuff you love. Just the nicest dude, but somebody who's deeply passionate about what he loves to do. So I, I think that Bones is special, man. I think he's going to fall right in uh, with Yoke. I just think he is just one of those players. He's Michael Malone's perfect kind of player because offensively he's going to stretch the court in ways that most people can't. But also he's just locked in. Like Malone doesn't necessarily need you to be a stout defender, but are you somebody that's going to lock in every possession? And that's Bones Highland. He's never going to have to yell at Bones. He's never going to have to tell him, oh, you missed your assignment here. Oh, you missed uh, you missed this read here. Because Bones, like you said, locked it. He sees everything. He understands everything. He's going to make the occasional, the occasional turnover, the occasional misread. But, like, for the most part, that dude is just, like, he's advanced beyond his years. That is for sure. Yeah. Uh, final take. This comes from Apologist on Twitter. He says, Nikola Jokic wins the scoring title. Spice scale. Uh, that is a five because I don't think Yoke cares. Um, <laughs> so so I'm going to say crap because I don't think he thinks about scoring that way. Like, I am good at scoring. I can score whenever I want. Scoring helps my team, therefore I score. So I think for him it's just possessional. It's like do I need to score on this possession or do I need to pass on this possession? And I think that's what people need to appreciate about Yoke. See, Bradley Bill going for the scoring title, that's important to him. Steph Curry had the scoring title last year. That's important to him. But Yoke is like LeBron James. I've been telling people this for so long. He controls every single possession on the court based on what he decides to do. So he, I don't. he doesn't have the personality that says, it's Sacramento Kings last year. I need to get 50 points and 12 assists and eight rebounds. That's not how he thinks. If I need to bust Rudy Gobert for 47, 12, and five, or 24, six, and six in 15 minutes, then I'll do it. But for him, it's literally what does this game require of me? And we're still going to get those eight points, 13 assists, 16 rebound games for Yoke every now and then because that's how he decided to kill you today. But again, he's one of the only players in NBA history, one of the only players in the modern era who can dictate the game at an offensive level of a supernova like LeBron James. And really, I say like Steph Curry, but even Kobe, the late great love Kobe Bryant, couldn't do that because that's not the kind of player he was. Just like Carmelo in his heyday wasn't like that. I'm a score and I'm going to kill you each and every possession. But Yoke, it's like, look, man, I'm not only going to kill you scoring. It's going to be at the most efficient level you ever seen in your life on shots you can't believe that went in like a 35-footer. Or I'm going to pass the lights out. I'm going to get 18 assists in the game plus 16 rebounds. So that's what I love about Yoke, man. There, there's no mold for him. It's so true. And <laughs> excuse me. Uh, it is so true that he attacks it in like night to night. He doesn't have a plan going in. Like he just says, like, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna see what happens in this game, and I'm gonna have my first couple of reads. But after that, it's just whatever I feel. It's whatever it's whatever the game takes me wherever I take the game. And he could have that eight point night. He could have that eleven point night. He could have a fifteen point night where he could have gone for forty five if he wanted to. Like that's just that's how he is. 
but like when his numbers, like his numbers are going to keep going up, but they're going to go up from the assist perspective because he's at 5.6 right now. He's at 25.1 points, which is actually ninth in the NBA. And Paul George is 28.9 right now. Like, could you crack that? Like if he wanted to, he probably could. Like we haven't seen anybody stop him just yet. So I I think uh, it's going to be up to him. It's going to be how long he wants to go. And if he wanted to win a scoring title, I I have no doubt that he could. Uh, It just doesn't seem like it's his personality. Like, like you said with Kobe, Kobe's running through that brick wall. He don't care. He's not jumping over. He's not drilling through it. He's not going to the side of it. He's running through that brick wall and yoke just ain't built like that. And that's okay. You know, what's hilarious is back in the day, you know, yoke would put up, you know, 16, 10, and five. I'm like, man, what a great player. Or even <laughs> 18, 10, and six. What a great player. And he finally averaged 20 points a game. Oh, this is peak scoring yoke. And then all of a sudden, 26.3 points a game. And in the playoffs, averaging over 30 points a game. And, and we're like, look, yoke could do 35 if he wants to and still shoot 60% from the field. So I don't think there's a barrier on it. I honestly think, Ryan, if he wants to do it, he'll do it. But most times he just doesn't feel like that's the best way to win basketball game. But if you try me, Rudy Gobert talking about you can guard me one-on-one, I'm going to give you 47. Not to mention, he's got all these guys on his team, like Porter, like Barton, like uh, Monte Morris, who wants to prove himself, like a Bones Highland, who wants to come in and and get buckets too. Like all these guys can score and he wants them to be able to have the shine on the light too. Like he, he doesn't want to be the only guy on the team. Like other guys, they want to be the superstars. They want to be the the main drivers. And Yoke understands the responsibility that he has, but he doesn't necessarily like it. Like he's never really liked it. He's never really approached it that way. That he wants the he wants the light shone on him up super bright all the time. Like he wants to win, but he also wants to do it on his terms where he can make sure that other guys get going, make sure that the team is well taken care of, make sure that his brothers that he cares about are also succeeding with him. And it can't just be Jokic scores 35 and everybody else scores eight points a piece. Like that's just never going to fly with him. He's always going to try to bring people along. Yeah. Uh, I want to see the day where Nikola Jokic is the first multiple time MVP finals MVP champion to come off the bench for the Serbian national team in the 2024 Olympics. That's what I want to see. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you could do it <laughs> and they would let him <laughs> they would be like all right yeah. that'd, that'd be perfect for yoke he wouldn't care <laughs> we, we don't need to start you and yoke is like okay i definitely will not that's <laughs> come that's off the so bench and give you 60 points in the olympic finals game <laughs> good lord that would be awesome um you have any other Jokic takes you want to fire off because like we're, we're just about wrapped up here and we've gone pretty long i might actually split this into two episodes as opposed to one uh, but do you have any other Jokic takes you want to fire off while you're here? Yeah. Uh, MVP uh, propaganda will be spreading, has been spreading. Uh, I think that he is, he's already still leading the NBA in PER. His box plus minus is all-time high right now. Uh, his defensive rating this year is a 94, which is one of the league leaders it's in nuts. the NBA, if not the leading. Um, he is contesting the most basket buckets at the rim he's ever had. He has one of the lowest shot percentages of any big in the NBA right now. His steal percentage in the pick and roll deflection percentage is higher than it's ever been. Um, so he is literally looking like a two-way monster and still shooting 60 
40 and about 75 right now, which again, he'll be about 85 to finish off the year. So, yeah. I mean, Ryan, I don't, I don't know what to say. You know, we've said this before. We think he can finish as a top 20 all-time player. Uh, I think defensively, if he keeps this up, this silences every single narrative that's ever existed from people that don't really watch him because when he gets that all NBA defense, not which I fully believe that he can, <laughs> but this is the thing. Tell me, we're 10, we're 10% we're into the season, and what has he done that's not possible for him to continue? That's what it's, I'm saying. Th- it's true. Like, like he is he's at that level right now and, and consistently playing at that level where everybody expects that from him. Like, and, and the, just the defense has been there, and, and the offense has been there always. Like, you're, you're never going to question the offense with Yoke, but he's honestly made such a leap defensively, like you said, I don't know if I'd throw it to the all defense level. Like it's still too early to have that conversation based off of what everybody else is doing. But like if Denver's still a top five defense by Christmas, if they're still in that category and you've got Jokic, like that's a big deal. That's a really, really, really big deal. You're still accounting for Michael Porter and and some of the occasional mishaps that he'll have. Monte Morris is still like six, one, six, two. Like he's, he's not the, the, greatest defender out there though he's he's improved for yoke to be on the floor for some of the best defensive minutes that this nuggets team has ever played before that's a really really big sign look i i think that every year we underestimate uh exactly how good he is uh even us you know, uh, we didn't really have MVP consideration for him until about 12 games to the year. He's averaging a triple-double on December 29th. I said out loud, like, I think this might be the year. Um, the year before, the year before that, when he made first-team All-NBA, did we did we see that coming? Every year, he has l- taken a massive leap on top of an already stacked resume. So who's to say that he hasn't heard all the noise? And again, not even hearing all the noise, but he's looked at the he's looked at the numbers. He saw himself in the playoffs. He didn't like his performance. And Yoke is just a type of dude, like the same thing with his body. He weighed 284 pounds. He said, you know what? This is unacceptable. And now he's one of the fittest players in the NBA. And so I just think he has that kind of mindset. There's no deficiency that I can't change. I don't he's not somebody that's limited by what people think he can or cannot do. And I think that's his biggest asset as a player. And that's why I think he surprises everyone every year. It's awesome, man. It's it's so great to be able to root for him every single night because he he delivers and and not like seeing him miss that game winner or game tying shot on on Wednesday night was so crazy. And then you realize, oh yeah, he got fouled. He got hit in the wrist, and that's probably the reason why. Uh, but like you get this guy who delivers in every single way, every single season, and there is just no limit to where he can go. Like you said. And if he continues to play like this, he will be the unquestioned best player in the NBA by the time this season is done, because Denver will have won a title. Like there's no doubt in my mind, if they just get the rest of this shit like squared away and Murray comes back and then just gives them basically like 2019 Murray, not even like, like all-star Murray or bubble Murray, but like, like just good Murray, then you're going to be just fine. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I think that from a unit standpoint, I don't think there's a more complete starting five in the NBA. I think that's been clear. And again, even if Yoke didn't take the all NBA nod, I think Aaron Gordon's going to get some votes this year, just based on the momentum he's picking up. Because again, you're going to have to look at the matchup data and say like, okay, no one outside of Kevin Durant shot more than 45% against him throughout the year on a high volume. So man, 
how do we you know what do we do with that? Like I'm saying, like he he's not putting up crazy steal numbers or crazy block numbers. But what do you do that every time he went one on one with an opponent from Luka Doncic to LeBron James to Kawhi Leonard to Paul George and to Kevin Durant, he made effective plays against them that caused them to severely change the way they were playing the game that night, and then gave Denver a chance to win defensively. So I just think that collectively, and which is why this Michael Porter Jr. thing is so critical, Ryan. People are so down on what he's doing offensively, but this is the thing. If you have a six foot ten super athlete, a six foot eight super super athlete, and Yoke playing great defense, and your 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 front court is that loaded and that long, I, I honestly just think, man, people just need to step back for a second and realize that you are literally building something that we were hoping for five years ago. We never would have thought that the defensive ceiling could have been here with this team, but you have the assets. And then you put a six foot four point guard in the middle of that. I just, you know, that, I mean, please, please. And then, and then if you get a square off against the Lakers, I want to see Russell Westbrook try to go at Jamal Murray for a seven game series. I, I can't wait to see that. So I'm excited for it. Oh, man, that's going to be such a fun series. Those two are going to get into a fight. That'll be so fun. <laughs> oh, my God. Man, you, you've been awesome. I, I appreciate you coming on. We, we've spent super long on this one. Uh, let the people know what you're working on right now and, uh, and where they can continue to find your work. Yeah, look, hit me up. Swipe a cam on YouTube. Swipe a cam on Twitter. Uh, you can always see me talking some talk, jawing a little bit, sharing some information that you might need to know. Uh, man, there's a big, big YouTube community. So please, podcast community, support Ryan, support other people that are doing the work. Uh, I think that there's so many of us that are offering something so unique. And I think that's what makes it special. So like Ryan, like you are absolutely one of the best at it. Like I said before, you have one of the best voices. Your 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 transition music is amazing. Probably the best part of the podcast. So all of this is, is, doing, is amazing, man. So I'm, I'm really excited for you, excited for your future. And like I said before, I'm going to say it again. Y'all better lock in to Ryan Blackburn now because eventually one of these big networks going to call him, try to give him a big fat, fat check, and then he going to have to make a decision, man. So I'm trying to tell y'all, like, appreciate what you got right now. So, uh, man, it's for real. It's for real. It's all love. I think what you're doing is great, man. I'm glad I got a chance to support it. I appreciate it, my guy. Big, big time words. Uh, I, I really appreciate it. He is Swipe a Cam on Twitter, on YouTube. Make sure to go check him out. Uh, and that is going to do it for this episode of Pickaxe and Roll, presented by DraftKings Sportsbook. Make sure to use promo code MHS when you sign up. We will be back. This will probably be a two-part episode, so if you're listening at this end, thank you. Really appreciate for taking the time. Uh, should be back at this point with a Houston Rockets game on Saturday. She'll be covering all that. Thank you so much, everybody. We'll talk to you guys very soon. Thank you.